As women, I wonder how many of you have felt like your womanhood has been denied at certain points in your life. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you've been told that you haven't re reached your potential because you weren't in a career, or maybe because you were a career woman, and uh, the men just either won't treat you like a woman, you're just one of the guys, or they treat you poorly because you're a woman. Or maybe you feel like you're, you just, uh, you're not a woman because politicians tell you you don't hold the right ideals. Or maybe you feel guilty about an abortion that you've had because, to be quite honest, you denied the call to your motherhood. Or maybe you feel affronted that men who are biologically men want to think that they're women and they've reduced womanhood to a feeling. There are lots of ways in our current culture that, ladies, you are running into tensions and struggles and pain. And to be honest, the history of women has had difficulty too. In the past, if we were go back to the first century, the time of the Bible, at the time of Jesus, women had a vastly different life, a vastly different reality. In fact, what we find is that women were often more in the home than anywhere else. That was their realm, their kingdom in a sense. They ruled over all of their various servants. If they had them, definitely their children. They used to have power in their communities by how well their children were doing. All these kinds of things were going on. And we feel like, oh, those poor women, they were, they were shoved into houses. They couldn't do things. And yet we remember their lives were radically different. First of all, most women only lived to the age of 35. Can you imagine that? You, you, you're only expecting to go 35 years having a, a midlife crisis at 17. Well, when you also realize that most women died in childbirth, it was a difficult scenario. That many women, in fact, if they survived childbirth, lived the vast majority of their lives pregnant having multiple children, and if they weren't pregnant, they were at home at least once a month for a week or longer because of sanitation issues, right? The reality for women in the ancient world was that they were able to produce much for the home and do incredible industrious things, but very few were actually out in the marketplace selling anything very often because of those particular restrictions. And yet they made much of their lives. They made huge impacts and great differences in their cultures. And let's be honest, in, in, in many ways, the history of women has been even horrible as they've been devalued, as they've been ignored, and you've, you've lost rights and certain things throughout history or freedoms that weren't, a, weren't given to you. Even, even the, the very medical issues that women have gone through have been vastly different than men and so there is a great struggle, even to the fact that the number one aborted being on earth when it comes to babies are women. And whether we see all this in a lens of just the suffering the women have gone through or things, just realize this is not how God intended it. Well, ladies, you have great advantages today that the women of the ancient history, even over only 100 years ago, did not have. You, however, have similar struggles, and those struggles now have come into the church because the wrestling match with the freedoms women have been given and the things that they have found has come to, to pull attention in the church about who's in charge and how things work like that. And it's not, a, it's not a modern tension. It's an ancient tension. It's one that's been there for many years. And here's the thing, God never intended all these struggles. God never intended all this abuse of women. God never intended these horrible things. He intended for men and women to work together. He intended men and women to see each other as equals in value because he made them in the image of God. Way back at the beginning, we have to start here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God said this. He said, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created 
them. There is this equality of value. Your value is not found in your beauty. Your value is not found in how smart you are, how, how good your career is, how much money you make, how great your children turn out or whatever. No, your value is found in the fact that you are made in the image of the living God. It's an infinite value that cannot be taken from you, that cannot be substituted for anything else. And in fact, your value is equal of any other male's value in the world because you're both made in the image of God. No matter what roles we talk about in church, no matter what roles we take in life, I just want to remind us that it has nothing to do with your value, regardless of what our culture wants to tell you, regardless of how much we want to claim otherwise as Americans. But God also, however, did show that there was, there was a, a compatibility between men and women. While we were both equal in value, we had different functions, different roles to act upon. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we find that God makes the man. The man's kind of roaming around and doing the things that he needs to do. And God kind of looks down at the, at the man and he goes, he says this, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I don't know about you, but nowhere in the Bible have I found that it says it's not good that women be alone. But, you know, obviously men have problems, right? No. What the point is, is that man and women were to work together. The woman was designed in such a manner to bring about the power that the men were supposed to have. And we can't do it without one another. There's a unity found in male and female so that there is a family and there's a transformation. God had called us to make Eden out of the world. And it was going to take men and women working together to produce that in their equal value, in the roles he's given. And so we wind up with this Edenic picture, this wonder of, of men and women working together, and it falls apart at the fall, and yet in the church, God brings it back together. And what I love, love, love about the church is that our God loves women. I mean, what do you mean by that? Well, with the whole history of all the oppression and difficulty women have gone through, if you look in the history, it is women who have filled the church the most. It seems that God loves to bring those who have been broken, hurt, and harmed into His kingdom to honor them and to show His power. And so He's brought women into the church. He's brought them into this place, and He has brought them into a glorious place. So the participation of women empowers the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at. It's the participation of women that empowers the church. And though there are tensions currently because of our modern society and conveniences, this picture of men and women in the church has led to some discussions. And it's been intense over one particular verse, namely this one, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 15. We said last week, this is the most controversial verses that have been talked about in the last 60 years in all of the Bible. And you'll see why in a little bit, because of the tensions between men and women, the tensions of the freedom of women, and, the, and all of the things that are going on in our current cultural society. But our context in this series is called Some Assembly Required. And here at Olive Branch, we know that there's going to be some reassembling we need to do at the church, and we know that we need to assemble with prayer. That's our first goal, is to be together praying over the church, praying for things, bringing them together. The second is that we need to proclaim the gospel locally and globally to the nations, and then that we need to see the men take apart or the church will fall apart, and now women, you need to participate because it empowers the church. And when we have all these things in the right order, we're going to see the church begin to grow and drive forward. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, this leadership letter. And as the leader goes, so goes the church. And so what's important for Timothy is important for all of us. And so we're examining this out. So if you've got your Bible open now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
let's take a look because the first thing that Paul that Paul's going to tell Timothy is look when it comes to ladies in the church when it comes to women in the church women are going to empower the church also through prayer women empower the church through prayer let's begin right here in verse 8 he says well i desire then in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling likewise also that women should adorn themselves he goes on in a conversation about apparel now this word likewise is pointing back that just as men should pray, likewise women should be praying. Just as men should be praying with holiness, so likewise women should be praying with holiness. In other words, women, you empower the church in your prayers. I love this because prayer is a vastly powerful thing, and this is a revolutionary idea. First of all, why is it revolutionary? Well, it's revolutionary because women and men were being assembled together for the first time in a worship setting. We talked about this last week. The women weren't allowed into those synagogues. Women weren't brought into various participation of assemblies. And here, men and women are gathered together to hear and be full-fledged disciples and to pray together. That means they were praying out loud. They often prayed out loud. We don't usually pray quietly like we do today. They prayed out loud. They prayed with their words. And so there's no way when this text will tell women to sit quietly or you got to be silent in the church that it meant complete silence. It actually couldn't be that way if women were to pray. And prayer is a part of what we do together. And in fact, it's an equalizer. Think about it this way. The gun was considered the equalizer for women because women's strength was not as strong as men. But the second you got a gun, women could defend themselves equally with any man. And that's the powerful thing about a gun equalizing the ability for women to protect themselves. Prayer is the equalizer because whether you're male or female, through Jesus Christ, you have access to the Father no matter who you are. You want to see the church move? You want to see the church change? You want to see it develop? You want to see it grow? Pray. The point is that your family, your friends, your neighbors, your church are transformed because we pray. In fact, he's telling you to pray. He's telling us to pray. If you want power in the church, the power in the church comes through prayer and not through other things. In fact, he'll go on to say, if you, ladies, if you want to empower the church, it's not going to come through your sexuality. It's going to come through good works. It's going to come through your prayer and good works. And so women empower the church through good works. And you say, okay, what are we doing here? So let's look as we continue on. He says, verse 9, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So he's saying, I want you to pray, but here's the thing. I want you to watch your power. Women should not seek power through their sexuality. Just like men are not to seek power through their strength using anger and abuse, women, you have a power. And your power is, is your body, is your sexuality, your beauty. God has made you attractive, made you powerful to men. And women in the ancient world, especially if they had wealth, knew it. They would use and dress up in certain ways with their hair dressed and these things in order to attract men and control them with their sexuality to gain power and prestige in a community. And Paul says that's not how it's going to be in the church. You're not going to use your sexuality, your power, to garner any kind of control over leadership or over other things. That's not what we're here for. And so he says, watch it, be modest, be respectful, beware of, let me put it in these terms, toxic femininity. 
A toxic femininity is like masculine or male abuse with their muscles. It's female abuse with your sexuality. It's using your sexuality to control, guide, and lead men or others in the direction you desire. And I believe that this is the, the kind of evil who, that, that Paul is warning against, just like abuse is warned against. So using sexuality is warned against by women. And my wife points out, we've done many premarital counselings over the years, that this is, a, this is a difficult thing for women. Because to be quite honest, it's addicting to be looked at. It's addicting to be, um, to be propped up. Women who are beautiful and these kinds of things, often they've shown in statistics, receive better treatment and all this stuff. And so there is a sense that God's actually calling you to submit yourself to, to modesty, just like Christ did. You see, Christ is the picture of modesty. Here is the God of the universe who has all the beauty and wonder that should attract us to himself, that, that is, that you're based on, you're made in his image. And yet, when he comes to earth, he veils himself in humility. In fact, we can point out all kinds of scriptures where we see this, but one of those we talk about every Easter where Jesus rides in on a donkey. It's a prophecy from Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation is he. So you'd expect him to come in with pomp and circumstance. No, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He comes in humbly. Not with all the pomp and circumstance. No, he comes in not seeking anything but his good works to pronounce him. People celebrated him, Jesus, because of his good works. People celebrated the Christ because he healed, because he proclaimed, because he cast out demons, because he cared about the poor. When we come in with our good works, it's far greater than the wonder and the beauty. It's more powerful when you are a good person. We know this. There are a lot of ugly models, meaning that internally they are broken, because they're so fixated on their externals. You can have all the plastic surgery you want. It will never change the internal makeup of your life. Your character and your value is found in Christ, in God. And he says, let it shine through good works. What kind of good works? Well, guys, ladies, listen, this is the thing. Maybe it is simply your good works in prayer. Do you realize how powerful prayer is? I mean, a woman praying is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. It's what brought me to Christ, my mom praying for me, my mom bringing me the gospel. That was good works, and it's resounded to our church. You know, that's the, it's the case for Timothy, whose mother and grandmother were praying for him and led him into the word of the Lord. It, it's the same thing for Augustine, a man who was out there destroying his life and, and destroying other people's lives with rhetoric. His mother prayed him into the faith, as he would confess, and he revolutionized our theology and knowledge. Over and over and over behind so many of the people that we see is a mother praying or a woman praying on behalf of others. Don't knock that your power in prayer is great. Don't knock that your good works and service are great. In fact, later we'll see the deaconesses, those who are able to go out and serve other women and serve in the church and do things in service, is a revolutionary concept in the ancient world. But they are using their gifts, they're using their skill to make a difference in the church and in their societies. And that led to care of widows and care for the elderly and care that becomes hospice and ultimately hospitals. The whole picture of much of our care industry is by women who are serving. In fact, one of the greatest things women did that revolutionized the Roman world was that they would go out, they would find babies who had been aborted in their way of abortion, meaning just left to the, to the environment, and they would steal them away. The vast majority of those babies that they took home with them and raised as their own were women.
Eventually, those young ladies raised in the faith would have to marry these pagan boys, and they would civilize them, a work only women, I believe, can do, and brought them into a situation where the church flourished because women were faithful. Faithful in doing the good works that many times only a woman can do. Right now in our culture, I believe it is up to women to stop the scourge of pornography. My wife wonders, with the freedom that women have today, with the freedom that women are capable of having, why is pornography still available? Why are women not shouting it down and destroying it? It is a horrible evil upon women and men. Why is it that we don't see the rise of women and and, and destroying these particular objects or or stopping abortion and being the ones flooding these, um, these places with crisis pregnancies to help these young ladies take on the call of motherhood or to adopt these women in? These are capable... Uh, capable in our society pretty much only of women because men's voices have been shut down in these areas or we are so culpable in them. It will take women to rise. There are good works that God has available for women to do in great ways. And that calling is an available one for all women. And if you dress in those good works, God glorifies the church and it empowers the church forward. There's so much, ladies, that you can do not to get fixated on fashion. Not to get pulled into these things. No, we want to have these good works done. And so women empower the church with their good works. And women empower the church also by then learning the word of God. And this is where it goes. See, in other words, you get to be a full-fledged disciple. In the ancient world, when women were not allowed to sit and listen to the word of God, now you can. And Jesus started this. In fact, it's from the book of Luke. He says, now, as they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village. We know it is Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Mary sits down, wants to hear from Jesus. But Martha's busy. Uh, She's distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm doing the woman's job. What is she doing? This is, this is her perspective. She's not supposed to sit and listen to you. She's supposed to serve. That's our job. Let the men sit and listen. And Jesus goes, hold on. She says, tell her to help me. Tell tell her to get into her place. And the Lord said, no, no, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. It's needed. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Right there, Jesus opened to the world of women the opportunity to be disciples of Christ. Full disciples, not just the servants of the disciples, no. Full disciples sitting under the teaching. It's necessary. It's right. Ladies, you should be in services taking notes, engaged. In fact, that's the point Paul's making. The next verses are taken so wrongly today where we say that, that we go like, wait, wait, wait. It says right here in verse 11. Look at, me, look at it with me. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And we go like, oh, that's horrible. Well, hold on. Let a woman... Learn quietly with all submissiveness doesn't mean that she is silent. We already said that. No, what it means is she's attentive and ready to do what is being taught. This is how all people are supposed to be in the church. Are you ready to take notes? Are you ready to learn? See, it was an oral society. You didn't have it screens and things. You only heard the word and that was it. And you needed to remember it. You needed to repeat it. And so they were saying, this wasn't discussion time. It wasn't time to turn and start talking about what you just heard or ask a question or these kinds of things. They were trying to teach the decorum of the church was, hey, learn, listen, be attentive. And second, be submissive, meaning listen to the leadership. This does not mean you need to be submissive to every man in the the church. That's not how this works. 
It means to be submissive to the leadership and the official teaching that was coming. And the way we submit ourselves to the teaching is to be quite honest, we live it. Are we ready to take notes and live it? Whether we're men or women, we're called to be full disciples. We're not just supposed to sit and listen to the teaching of God and not apply it and not live it out. We're not supposed to hear we need to be praying and not pray. We're not supposed to hear that we're supposed to be taking notes and not take notes. We're supposed to be engaged with quietness, ready to take in and submissiveness, ready to listen and learn. And this applies then directly to the teachers. It's why he goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. The reason that is said is because you're supposed to listen to the authoritative teachers. And that means women are allowed, honestly, in my opinion, that participate in any position except for one, and that is the elder slash senior pastor position of the church. They can't be elders and senior pastors, and that's it. And this is because God has given that role of leadership to the church to men, but every other role, every other opportunity is available. And I understand that this, this means that women aren't to be the authoritative leaders or teachers in the church, but it doesn't mean that women don't lead at all. Actually, at Olive Branch, we have women leading all kinds of ministries, from family ministries and children's ministries, helping out in youth ministries, running women's ministries. We have women who are missionaries planting churches. Women have great opportunity because they fall under the authority and the direction derived from the elders and the senior pastor. In fact, all the men who are leading the church under these positions derive their authority from the elders and the senior pastor. The only place that it is left for, the elder, for men to only serve is that elders and senior pastor here at Olive Branch, and that's how we have understood this text. Now, that doesn't mean that women can't teach. Of course they teach. In fact, we see that they teach other women in, in Scripture. In fact, this Titus, which is another one of the leadership letters of the Bible, very similar to Timothy, he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Remember, older women are older than 35. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train young women to love their husbands. So here they are. They are to teach what is good. There's our word teach. They teach young women to love their husbands, children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. They're supposed to deposit what they've learned into the next generation of ladies so they can train up another generation. And we see a development of the faith moving on. We'll see that in a minute. And all this so the word of God isn't reviled. Now, what is happening, and this gets into other texts, and we're not going to get into the family unit and all that kind of stuff, but, and maybe you're like submissive to their husbands. Remember, it teaches the husbands to self-sacrifice, to serve women with everything to the point that they would be willing to die. And ladies, that's how they're supposed to lead you. And so there is a fight for the bottom here. Who's going to get under the other person? So don't hear this as like, submit. That's not, that's not what's going on here. But older women do teach. In fact, we see that Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos in the book of Romans. And we see this as an event in which a Jew named Apollos, native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he needed a little correction. And though he spoke boldly in the synagogue, Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and together, male and female together, explained it. So Priscilla's part of the teaching process to correct a teacher. It's there. Now we also see that women taught at some level in the church. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us, What then, brothers, when you come together, and this is brothers and sisters, catch-all, doesn't mean just only men. When you come together, 
Each one is a hymn, a lesson, a, or a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Paul talking about spiritual gifts is saying, yeah, ladies, you can teach. Sure, yeah, you can have a lesson, but that is going to fall under the evaluation as all of this will of the elders and senior pastor. It would be evaluated for its content. Now, even in that explanation, often this irritates women in our culture and understand the freedom and the movement for women to have the availability to do everything is a part of our culture. And here's the thing. It, it sounds a lot like to many of us that have been talking about this, men and women alike, that what God has done, he says, you can eat of any tree of the garden except the one in the middle. And suddenly we're focused on the one in the middle. The only one that's restricted. And yet that would be like a man running around going, I want to do everything, but I can't give birth I can't, I can't nurture the child in the way that a woman has because God's designed you a specific way. There are things that only women can do. There are things that only women have the, have the available opportunity over. And that can't be interchanged. Your femininity is yours as a woman to be owned by you, to, be in, to have by you, and that is a powerful and good thing. And if our culture wants to tell us, you don't have to submit to anything, which is what our culture wants to do, we in, ultimately end up submitting to that teaching. It's an impossible thing. We either submit to the teaching of a culture or we submit to the teaching of the Word of God. And while that's a struggle and a difficult thing, submission is not an evil thing. Jesus himself is the first one who submits. See, submitting often makes us feel like we don't have the same value, but that's not true. Jesus submits to the Father, and it says that he was in the form of God. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held onto, gripped onto. So his equality with God doesn't change, but he humbled himself. He empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus submits himself to the Father and is willing to do what the Father tells him. He submits himself willingly, but it doesn't change his value. And when we submit to our leaders, our teachers, when we submit, we actually become image bearers of Jesus. We become image bearers of Christ. We actually live out the gospel and people see the gospel and function. And submission then becomes powerful. Because when you don't have followers with a leader, there is no leader. You ever realize that? If everybody's trying to lead, nobody's following. It's an array. It's a mess. But when one leads and people follow and submitting to that leadership, then that leader is empowered to lead. But if they don't want to go, that leader has no power except for those who are willing to follow. And therefore, you have to willingly submit. It's like a basketball team. I got trained as a center all my life. I am six feet tall. That was a dumb idea. Centers are the tallest guys on the team. By the time I was a varsity basketball player, I was trained as a center and shorter than this point guard who is the guy who dribbles the ball down. I had very few ball skills. I needed to relearn everything, but because I wanted to be something I wasn't designed for, I wound up not on the team. And that was a stinky thing. But you see how even in these cases, there are ways that we work better in the localities we're intended for. And so we let the whole team work together. And God has always given you that one thing. If you dislike what's going on with leadership, you have that leveling power of prayer. Because women, you empower the church when you pray, when you participate in prayer. And so you have a power. You have the Lord himself with you. But don't think because you're willing to submit to leadership, because you're willing to submit as, in, in, as the Bible instructs that you, somehow you're less valuable. No, no, no. In fact, you're imaging Christ in a very powerful way. Now, and finally, 
Some people have said, well, this is just for their time period. Things have changed. And yet Paul doesn't leave us with that. He actually grounds it in that Genesis 2 story. But that's not how it works out. In Genesis, he goes back to that Genesis 2, and he talks about the fact that Adam was formed first. In fact, you'll look down at your Bible in verse 13. It says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Adam's roaming around. God said, that's not good. So then he makes Eve. But Adam was given the leadership. And then Eve comes along, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, it says, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, the bottom line in this case is that women are able then to participate through a sanctified femininity. And this is what he's saying. is like, look, when you come into the faith, when you have this, just because you don't have the leadership doesn't mean you don't have a power. Your power is found in your femininity. That you empower the church through the feminine qualities of womanhood. Now, his first point is, yeah, Adam and Eve, Adam was the leader, Eve wasn't. And when he followed his wife, there was disorder. And disorder is disastrous. That's basically his first point. He's saying when it all gets messed up, it's disastrous because, look, if a child's going to lead his parents, it's not going to work. If things are out of order, things fall apart. And in the reassembling of the church, Paul said things need to be in order. So allow things to be done orderly, in a proper order, so that we don't have a continued breaking down of the church. And so he starts with this, hey, listen, that doesn't mean you don't have a power. It doesn't mean that you don't have something great. No, you do. And he uses strange language, language that's been debated over the years, but it's, it's understandable when he puts it this way. Yet she will be rescued, not saved, rescued. She will rescue in childbearing. What is the world? Why are we talking about childbearing? Why are we talking about having children? This mean, so I'm going to be saved because I have babies? No, it's not what it means. In fact, what it's saying is that God is redeeming the realm of the woman. Childbearing is a specific way of speaking strictly to what only women get to have. Men can't do that. And it's in their realm of childbearing that we see this. In fact, the realm that was cursed was the women's childbearing realm. In Genesis chapter 3, when the curse comes to the woman, the man's cursed in the ground. The woman here says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. There's our word. In pain you shall bring forth children in the family and these things. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And suddenly the tension in the family, the tension where there should be joy in being married, it was brought tension. Where there's to be joy in having children, there was pain. In the beauties and the joys of what we should have, in the realm of women, there's pain in the home. In the realm where God had given the men and the workforce and all this stuff, there was going to be toil and pain where there should have been joy in production, joy in bringing home food, joy in these things. Nope. And so here we have a reality. God says there was this pain, but now it's rescued in Christ. And when you bring home that transformation in your realm as a woman, in what it means to be a woman as a woman, you bring about a transformative power. And I love that fact. What we have is this opportunity for you to not see just the pain and death that have meaning. And if you desire to be a stay-at-home mom, you don't get knocked for that. It's honored. Because you want to bring your children up in the Lord. You want to bring your family there. You pray for them. You use good works. You serve. You do these amazing things. And the realm of women is rescued. In fact, what God's saying is you don't have to become a man to be valuable in the kingdom of God. You don't have to sacrifice your femininity to go try to prove yourself tough like the boys and those kinds of things. You get to be fully a woman and God honors it fully. And that is a powerful thought. And that's what he was aiming at. 
as he was telling us the, these things. Now, does that mean you can't go out into the workforce, ladies? No, that's not what it means. Go read Proverbs 31. You'll see that women are capable of doing great things and, and making huge, huge transformations in our world. Just know that in that case, if you enter into that world, you'll, you'll have the tensions of the curse when it comes to, to, to the work world as well. However, it is a beautiful thing for women to go into the workforce as women. To not feel like you have to be a man to do, the man, do it the man's way and those kinds of things. No, you get to be a woman. You get to be fully a woman. If you choose to stay home, you get to have that home and, and bring that home about. You get to pray for your husband, guide it forward, and make giant transformative leaps. And you get to excel in your faith. You see, the ending is not about the childbearing. He says, if the woman continues in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. In other words, if you live out your faith, and the virtues of your faith in your home, it transforms your home. It becomes a sanctifying place for your children. It becomes a sanctifying place for your husband, for your parents, for others around you. If it's in your work world, it becomes a sanctifying place where you engage. And I want to encourage you, ladies, God is not asking you to become men. He's asking you to become holy women. He's asking you to become the women of virtue. And when we do this and we bring those good works to the church and we bring that prayer to the church and you learn and you grow and you bring these things to church, the church is empowered. And therefore, as we reorganize, as we assemble in the church, as we put things back together, we need women, you, to empower the church forward. We got to start with prayer. Absolutely. And we should be praying for the church. And we need to move into an understanding that we've got to proclaim it to the nations, that it's going to require men and women to take part and empower the church forward so that it doesn't fall apart. And so, ladies, I want to pray over you today. At the close of this, if you're maybe in your home and you've got someone or you're watching this online somewhere, would you just bow your heads? And ladies, if you want to stand in your home, or husbands, if you're there, or if you're alone with your children, would men, put your hands on them, pray over them right now. Or I'm just going to pray over you, ladies, if you're home alone, if you're single mom, single at your home. I want to ask God's blessing upon you as you work so hard and so difficultly in so many scenarios. Father, I just lift up the women in our church and I pray that you'd bless them. Give them power, give them strength to, in their prayer lives and to produce the great good works that you have for them to do. And that, Lord, as they engage in the ministry where you call them to, to, to do the things you've led them to, to, to engage in the ministries that you've put them in, to, to reach out with those ministries in the world, to do only the good works that can only be done by women, but at the same time, the good works you've called them to do, I pray that you would multiply them. God, would you allow them to be an empowerment to the church, that they would line up to, to press it forward for the call and the vision of your kingdom. God, together you've called us to bring about that Eden to this world, your kingdom. Help us to do that. And I pray that you would bless these women, empower them, give them strength to be fully women, to find their value in you, and to engage as you've called them to engage. pray you'd bless them now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, Olive Branch, if you're still with us here at the end, thanks for joining us. We want to ask you, if you're new with us, let us know. Uh, the best way to do that is to simply text the word NEW to the number at the bottom of the screen. We'll love to get a hold of you as you get to know us. You may have questions from this sermon or this series. We'd love to hear from you and engage also. Also, we are pushing everybody forward, saying, hey, it's the new year. Let's step up. Let's grow spiritually. And we have a next step pathway that's available. That could be anything from our, our starting point where you can ask questions about Christ or these kinds of things and engage the reality of Christianity. 
to uh, just taking a membership or stepping forward either in loving Christ, living for Christ, or sharing Christ in one of those ways. More importantly, we would love for you to start a group. And you can do that by simply t uh, taking a next step at obcc.group. And this is a small group you can start. In fact, if you'd like to start a group, we're doing a series called Wannabe with the small groups that are starting. Just grab that package. You can invite a couple friends over and right there begin uh, to start a small group. You can do that with this and text Wannabe to the number here at the screen. And what that enables you to do is to start right off in a small group, which could just be you and a couple friends at your house, serving a snack, having some fun, Doing the study as you learn to grow spiritually it helps you walk through the fruit of the Spirit and how you want to grow in this next year. So it's a great opportunity. We're just glad you've been with us. We pray that God will continue to bless you and bless all of Ranch as we move forward in this reassembly. We will see you next week, and I pray that the Lord is leading you well.